Hello, and welcome to The Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate news and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by food logistics and supply and demand chain executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends to new technologies and food safety and sustainability, anything really impacting today's supply chains. I'm Brielle Jekyll, the Associate Editor of Food Logistics and SDCE, and today we start our month focused on technology in the supply chain. This episode, I'm diving right into robotics with the CEO of SVT Robotics, and I'm asking the tough questions like, what happens in the event of a robot takeover? But really, how humans and robotics and automation can work together on making a really efficient supply chain. So let's link into that conversation now. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining. I am here with SVT uh, Robotics CEO, A.K. Schultz. Hi, A.K. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. Hi, Brielle. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about robotics and automation in the supply chain because it's a really cool subject and it's becoming so commonplace. Um, oh, it's I mean, today it's almost like a, a, a science fiction movie from 10, 20 years ago when you go to a warehouse today. Um, but first, can you describe a little bit about what SVT does and what your role is? Sure. Yeah, we uh, we're a robotics company that actually makes no machines. Right, we don't make robots. Right, so that's uh, that's the first thing. We're a pure software company, and what we do is provide super fast integration. In the old days, like last year, um, you know, it take twelve months to get robotics into your warehouse, and we're bringing that down to twelve weeks or less. And making it so that you can really rapidly take advantage of the of the systems that you want and make you so much more flexible to adopt to changing market conditions. Um, you know, because I absolutely think it's super crucial. And I think the black swan event of 2020 right. shows how important this is. Yeah, absolutely. And I know before the pandemic actually hit, most of the experts I talked to would would talk about how long implementation um took but i'm wondering now so one of the things that happened when covid first hit and we went into lockdown was we looked to technology to kind of help fill those gaps mm -hmm. that social distance distancing brought up but a lot of people were saying that it kind of fast-tracked technologies that were already about to be implemented rather than people flocking to brand new technologies because of how long it takes. But now that we've been in the pandemic for so long and you, you know, have work in speeding up the process, are you seeing now people like gravitating towards automation to, to help with the supply chain in, in during COVID? Yeah, most definitely. So the way I would describe it was there were companies who were prepared and there were companies that were underprepared, right? And the companies that were prepared really were companies that had adopted robotics or automation over the past five, 10 years, right? And they they had gotten good at onboarding technology into their systems. And the underprepared were companies that were thinking about it or maybe didn't have the, the internal chops to do it. And it was much harder for them to bring technology in. And the way I, I saw it was there was Q2, Q3 was, you know, well, Q2 was everyone was just reeling and trying to get their, their feet underneath them. 
Um, Q3, people were starting to get their operation back on track and then starting to think about things. And then by Q4, um, we had one of our strongest quarters um, ever. And, um, and now what I'm seeing is that even the, I'd say the late majority in robotic adopters are really saying, wow, that can't happen to us. What do we do to start bringing this in? Right. It, it is crazy how much things have changed in just one year. Sure. It, COVID really fast-tracked things. It really opened people's eyes to what is needed in technology. Sure. So that brings me to my next question. Obviously, automation and robotics really drive efficiency and accuracy, but what happens when a mishap does occur? You know, um, what's the protocol there? Um, well, can you help me understand the question more like a mishap and what kind of mishap would you like if, if a robot does something wrong or something goes wrong in the software, what mm -hmm. happens then inside the warehouse? Like, how is that handled? Sure. Yeah. I mean, exception handling is what we call it, right? When um, things when something happens that was supposed to, you know, you, you create a digital, uh, a digital order and the physical world has to follow. Humans are actually really good at dealing with these problems. Right. And I think the, the, I'm going to get really nerdy here. It's uh, <laughs> the, it's the, the real problem occurs when there's what's called a physical logical mismatch. In other words, the digital world thinks one thing and the physical world is a different reality. Right. And, um, I think this is a very important point to people who are buying robotic systems. The companies, you really need to make sure that the companies that you're dealing with are really have robust structures to be able to deal with these physical logical mismatches. Um, some of the systems are very brittle and some of them are self-recovering and self-discovering of these mistakes. In other words, a mistake gets made and it flags immediately and says, whoa, something's out of whack. Um, others that are much more brittle you can have these ongoing mistakes that throw something out of sequence and it might be an hour before something is flagged. So um, this is one of these places where I'd say, do your homework and partner with companies who really understand this and understand the reality of how operations work. Do you know if there's any numbers behind how much more efficient robots or and robotics and automation actually are than human workers? Yeah, so, I mean, there's the efficiency. First of all, um, in some ways, humans are much more efficient than robots, right? If you think about, you know, the human machine is actually just an amazing device, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, it is unbelievable. Just simple hand-eye coordination, me grabbing this phone is a miracle, right? And if you think about what a human can do when you give a human a task, it can actually do a job of 10 different machines, and, um, you know, so some robots are really good at driving things. Some robots are good at welding something, but there is really no robot that's really better at a human across a span of things. So in order to do something that's complex, you actually have to have a bunch of machines to do the work of one human. Um, but that strength is also becomes a weakness, right? Because you're, you're, um, it's, the Germans call it Eierlegen Wollmilchsau, which means an egg laying, um, an egg laying, wool producing, milk bearing pig or something like that, right? And so uh, in other words, the humans are really good, super flexible machines. But then when you, when you find a task that is um, repeatable, uh, maybe dangerous, unpleasant, 
this is where machines really do well. But what I will say is that more, more and more companies are less focused on, say, implementing robots for a cost reduction method or to remove heads. That's not been the problem. The problem has been simply we do not have enough access to labor now to do our job. And, um, you know, and I know the pandemic we've had, you know, it, it, pre-pandemic, this was a massive problem and post-pandemic it's going to be a massive problem again, right? So um, we see it at, most companies see it as a means of actually achieving the business um, results. Um, an example is, uh, you know, I think the new benchmark now, of course, is two-day delivery, right? And if you think about right. how hard it is to execute this, there are companies that in order to actually ship products on time, they simply cannot get enough labor to actually ship products on time. So what they're doing is augmenting humans with machines in order to get products out the door and enabling these service levels. Because as a as a consumer base, we've become very demanding right. from, uh, and have had high expectations. And it has driven so much cost mm -hmm. into supply chains and factories. And I don't see it going away. In fact, it's going to get even harder, right? The expectations are increasing every day. I'm laughing because you took my next question almost word for word because, you know, I've, you know, their robots have become much more advanced and widespread. And a lot of people are bringing up the question, like, are robots taking our jobs? You know, the sure. av average person thinks that this is a risk, but sure. all of the people I've spoken to, you know, all the experts, they, they really say that this isn't the case and that robotics are used for, you know, filling the gaps where it's dangerous or where just a tedious task that, that no human really wants to do. Um, and true. to, again, fill in the labor gaps. And I was going to ask if you believed that if this was true, <laughs> Well, so I've got a great, like one of the first robotics projects I worked on was a, essentially a, a, an automated forklift driving in minus 20 and pulling and right. picking groceries in minus 20. It was actually ice cream and freezer products. And the problem they had, this was in Houston, Texas, by the way. So in the summer, you would come out of minus 20, people would take a break and then go into a hundred degree weather. Oh my God. Right. So we're talking 120 degree swing in temperature and people were getting sick. It was super unpleasant for them. And they, they had 75% turnover of their employee base every year. And the main reason they did this was, wow. yeah, 75% of their freezer operators, they just couldn't deal with that. Right. And so this is a massive problem. Um, but the other more macroeconomic view of this, um, is if we think about the first major roboticist of our century, the most notable one, and you know, yes, it was before robots, but really it was the birthplace of robotics is Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. So Henry Ford and the assembly line essentially implemented machinery to do things that, that made it possible for, for humans to be more efficient. And yes, I think initially maybe there was some at the first plant, maybe there was some change, you know, um, you know, less, less labor required, but that quickly took off when the car, the cost of cars came down. Mm -hmm. And frankly, think about all the jobs that created, like it, it launched an industry, a global industry of car manufacturing that was enabled be, because of this efficiency put in place. 
Um, I'd also say being able to operate and make things efficiently is absolutely crucial to the American economy mm -hmm. because the only way we're going to be able to compete with cheap labor is to actually be efficient in our workforce here. And it's not just a cost thing. I think more companies are looking at resilient supply chains and saying, you know, the microchip problem right now in cars, right? right? We have to have the ability to make things as a society here in the United States and remove the temptation of sending it offshore. Mm -hmm. We only do that by being super efficient and robots are absolutely crucial to that. Is it as widespread as I think it is? I mean, every other day I'm putting up a release or covering news that there's new robotics, but if you go to any warehouse in, in America, do you see these autonomous robots? Well, it's probably less prevalent than you would think. I think two years ago, it was only 5% of all warehouses were have major robotics in them. It might be 20% now, but Half of back then, two years ago, half of them had nothing. They were just right. purely manual. And so, and then that last 45% was kind of just conveyor systems, you know, basic machinery. So yeah, it's definitely there, but we have, it. this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're not really into the late majority. We're not even, you know, the innovators are doing it, the early adopters, the early majority is starting to move. And now the pandemic is pulling the, the late majority and the laggards into it, uh -huh. but this is just the beginning. So I'm also doing a lot of stuff with autonomous trucking. What's the mm -hmm. difference there? Uh, I mean, so if I, if I put my, from a digital standpoint, there's really no difference. That's what I thought. That's what I was asking. But there is a lot more, um, there's a lot more variables in autonomous trucking. Right. Um, you know, warehouse, you are contained. I'd say the kinetics are very different, right? There's a difference between moving, you know, three feet per or, uh, yeah, three feet per second instead of 65 miles an hour, right? So there's all sorts of different components here, right? And also, you don't have like birds flying through where, I mean, there's right. all sorts of variables that you really can't predict. It doesn't snow in a warehouse, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, the complexity is a lot larger, right? So but from a digital perspective, I actually don't see a huge difference between a forklift and a truck. It's just a device moving a box. It just happens um, to be a big box, right? Right. So what do you say to people who are scared that robots are going to take over? <laughs> well, I think we're quite safe for a while. <laughs> for a uh, while. For a while. And, and I think it'll be a long while. Like, again, it's... Uh, never underestimate the human machine. We are like, if there are times when I really just think about what a human being does and we go through these engineering exercises and just think about the simple things we do and the engineering complexity is massive, massive. And um, um, I think it'll be a long, long time before Skynet. So, yeah. uh, but that's my opinion, you know, Do you? that's my opinion. Do you know, I, I think we're safe. Do you know if any robotics companies has like a protocol in place just in case? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I would, I would say so. I mean, there's always the, uh, um, I don't know. I, I actually can't answer that question. <laughs> that's uh, that's a, that's the first time I've ever been asked that you completely stumped me. I, I, we don't have a protocol in case our software decides to go alien overlord on us, but, uh, <laughs> 
now that you've asked the question, perhaps, uh, perhaps we should. <laughs> well, moving away from the goofy questions back to reality, um, <laughs> how do you handle how how are how is routine maintenance handled in robotics? Um, well, so this is a this is an important thing, right? So when companies are implementing robots, they always think about the technical aspects, but the bigger problem is really introducing robots working with humans because very few robots actually work in a vacuum. Um, and there's this entire field called collaborative robots, collaborative robotics, which is, I think, um, you see robots that are able to literally stand next to a human without offense, right? And these are um, actually quite amazing. And I think that's going to be the standard. So, um, when you introduce these robots, humans have to, there's this onboarding of the technology that really involves getting people to say, okay, this is how you're gonna interact. And large, a lot of times the, um, the struggles to adopt robots are more about operations and organizational um, um, change management, right? And one of the places is in maintenance. And, um, you know, a lot of places, 50% of the warehouses in the United States the most complex device they have is maybe a forklift or a refrigeration system. And we have in the United States a real lack of mechatronics training in our workforce. There are very few people who understand the intersection between electronics, me mechanics, and software. And if I think about, I mean, this is a, an industry, uh, an employment set that, you know, is poised to actually explode if we can actually make this work. Like, so for instance, a mechatronics tech can easily make six figures a year, easily. No college degree, six figures and do amazing work. And there's a huge demand for it. But unlike Europe, where, where they have really strong apprentice programs, the United States just doesn't have this. And so a lot of people, they have to grow their own. And um, it is actually a limitation. So companies that are looking to adopt robots, they need to get ahead of this and start really building a workforce around mechatronics. So it's something I would encourage. I'd also say to uh, higher institutions and, and states, you know, if you really want to boost a workforce and create the workforce of the future for your for your state economy, this is a place where you can you should focus. Um, it's important to our entire economy. It's important to uh, every company because it's coming and it's right. here and it's already hard and we only have 5% of the facilities automated. Imagine what it's going to be when it's 50%. Right. So what are the environmental impacts of these robotics systems? Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, almost all of them, they're electrified, right? So right. The, uh, the actual environmental impact is probably less than that. Um, you know, I, I actually think, you know, the more robots we implement, the more high efficiency motors there will be. I think it's just going to drive. It's it's just going to drive um, um, a movement away from things like greenhouse gases and the like. So it, all these things feed on each other. In fact, I was just talking to in in here in Virginia. There's a big push towards uh, offshore wind generation. And I was talking to one of the local university uh, community colleges about mechatronics is one of my my uh, my my causes, right? And I said, you know, you know, think about you're going to need people to do this, mm -hmm. and a windmill is not that different from a robot, right? It's a 
instead of a, a rope motor, it's got a generator, right? But it's it's kind of the same thing. These same skills are, are necessary. So as we do more, um, more technologies associated with the environment, it's actually going to require the same type of skills. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight. I feel so much more informed on the robotics world. <laughs> yeah, happy to do it. It's a passionate uh, topic of mine. So thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's really, it's obviously very cool. And it, and it's really cool to see that uh, this stuff is real, you know, it's really coming and it's, it's here and it's helping. It's not hurting yeah. us. I agree. Well, thank you again. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. Tune in every Tuesday for our episodes of Link by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a thumbs up or review wherever you listen to your podcast. Next week, we talk to an executive from AT&T about 5G and how it impacts the supply chain. You can follow me on Twitter at Brielle for more of what's happening in the supply chain. And do not forget to hit subscribe on the Spotify, Apple, and Google Playlist apps so you never miss an episode. <laughs> <laughs>